We might still be living in the good old days regarding the status of women, and that's not a good thing according to the National Commission on the Status of Women. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading podcast, where we meet the people who are living empowered by helping to make things better in their communities and the workplaces. My guest on this episode is Kitty Asbury, the Executive Director of the Oklahoma Commission on the Status of Women. Kitty, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. I am so happy to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to visiting with you for a few minutes about uh, your work and also uh, your experience and your career. Uh, First of all, I want to give a little bit of background to our listeners that the Oklahoma Commission on the Status of Women is actually in its 56th year. It was originally uh, uh, formed by Governor Henry Bellman way back in 1964, just after President Kennedy had established the Presidential Council on the Status of Women in 1961. And then he told the states, well, you should do something likewise. So Governor Bellman did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He established uh, a commission that was basically operated through the governor's office for a long, long time. And then uh, back in 1994, the Oklahoma legislature formalized all that, and they established the commission, gave it a budget, gave it a structure, and uh, 30, uh, 30 commissioners, mm-hmm. uh, a third appointed by the governor, a third by the Speaker of the House, a third by the Senate pro tem. So all of the commissioners are appointed by political leaders, whoever they happen to be at the time, and uh, they have, what, five-year terms, I think, and they sort of stagger them out so they kind of turn over, you know, a few every couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of the formation of it. And when you look down, when you go on the website and look down the list of the commissioners, man, there's some powerful people and some amazingly yes. talented women who are on on that commission. And uh, uh, you can see that whatever information they're providing and insight they're providing would certainly be well received by, you know, our political leaders, hopefully. Uh, you became the executive uh, director, what, six years ago, I think you told me? six years ago, About six yeah. years ago, and... Uh, and now you you also serve on the National Commission, is that correct? Yes, I do. Um, currently, I'm one of the directors for the um, National Association of Commission for Women. Prior to that, I was the national secretary. Okay, so you've got really a, a national perspective as well as uh, your perspective here in Oklahoma. Absolutely. States are graded by through several, several different factors by a, a national group, and the last uh, report came out in, what, 2015, I think, was the last one that was done. And uh, a lot of states have a lot of work to do. (laughs) But Oklahoma is, uh, unfortunately, in like that bottom third in terms of the status. And and some of the report cards weren't really all that complimentary, let's say. How are we approaching that? What's, uh, how does the the commission look at that information and then decide what it wants to do to start making things better for women in Oklahoma? Well, you know, as a commission, one of our key goals is to improve the status of women here in the state of Oklahoma. And how we do that, we, we go into communities, we talk to those women, we ask them, what are your issues that are directly and indirectly impacting your life? And what are the things that we need to try to change? And from those conversations, we sit down and we talk to our legislators and we say, hey, these are the issues that's happening in northeastern Oklahoma or southeastern Oklahoma. We also um, partnership with other women organizations who are actually going out advocating for women's rights. Because as a commission, we cannot advocate, but we can educate. And that's our primary mission is to educate women about 
things that they can change in their lives in, to improve them. Mm-hmm. So if there are groups that are working on specific issues, you help women connect with those groups. So it's a matter of, of spreading information rather than taking a, polit- a position, let's say, on a solution. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as uh, taking positions, again, because we don't advocate, we don't take any positions on anything that's out there. We just offer advice. What are some of the ways that you go out into the communities and collect this information or engage people in their, in their communities? We set up community conversations where we may go to a, a college or a university or our meeting place and we'll talk about issues. Last year, our issues were substance abuse and mental illness. Prior to that, we talked about domestic violence, how that's impacting the, the lives of women, what are some of the things that we could do so that they'll know the warning signs of, of domestic violence. We've also talked about obesity, which of course, you know, with women, that's, that's one of those things that we tend to struggle with, you know, where some people see it as an identity crisis, but it's not. So those are just three things that we've talked about that directly impact women's lives. So do, when you get into a local community, do you have political leaders come into those conversations with you? or Without a doubt. When we're going into those communities, we, we talk to the community leaders, um, the legislators who are over that area, and then we get the specialists because we aren't the specialists in issues. So if we're talking about substance abuse, then we want someone that's in the health uh, feel that's talking about it. We want someone who may be connected to the hospital or something like that, but when we give information, we want it to be accurate. So therefore, yes, we do partnership with others. Are these meetings already scheduled around the state uh, on a regular basis and then promoted? Uh, how How do people learn about them? We try to conduct at least four per year. However, what we're looking at is expanding it to five. We also do Facebook Live events. Okay. Yeah, so we can connect more people with that, and, and webinars. Okay, so you're using the technology, social media, and other kinds of uh, tools to connect with people. Oh, without a doubt. We yeah. are currently on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. As these uh, topics are selected, are they selected based upon the five or six emphasis areas you know, that the National Commission has? Or? Well, normally what we do, we'll send out a survey, and we may have 10 topics on there in the mm-hmm. top three Uh, are the ones that we'll select and from that top three we'll take it to the commissioners and they'll select it down to one. Over the time that you've been involved with the commission, uh, have you seen some of these topics really take root in policy making in the legislature? We've seen some movement and not just in the state of Oklahoma, but on a national level as well, due to our community conversations, the National Association of Women's um, Commissions, they started a national conversation, which um, they've modeled it after our program. So yeah, we're seeing some changes being made. And with our partnership with the Oklahoma Women's Coalition, uh, we talk about issues that they're taking to the legislators to talk about. And it's a lot of it comes from our research, too. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of any particular uh, pieces of legislation that are being written or developed now as a result of some of the conversations that have been happening? We do have a watchdog committee where they go to um, 
the meetings all the time mm -hmm. and they they see what's happening they hear they listen to to what's being said and they bring it back to us then we go and try to meet with our legislators so we can say hey this was an issue sure. that was brought up yeah well and i suppose that's probably the really the role of some of the advocacy groups specifically who would want to go in and lobby or to provide information and hearings and so forth. And everything that we do, as far as our community conversations and our issues, it's all located on our website. Mm -hmm. We've also engaged with students from OU. They put together forms for us. Okay. So we, we have a group of highly skilled women that are working with us. When you go into a community, how well attended are those? Do you get a lot of participation from the community? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we get a lot of participation. And it's based upon your subject matter, how many people will show up. So if you're in a community where you know for, a rural community for instance, so if you are in a rural com um, community and you're talking about uh, a clinic or something that a woman go, mm -hmm. can go to and there's not one in that area, then they're gonna show up because they, they want to voice their concerns about someone putting one there. Mm -hmm. And that's something you take back to the legislators. Chances are uh, that representative or that senator is in that room. So right. he or she is listening to the conversation. Well, that's good to hear that they're actually physically present when they can be to, uh, to hear firsthand you know, what's going on. It's always better to hear it straight from the people who are the most affected by it than sort of like a report, you know. And, and that's why we always extend our invitations to our legislators. Mm -hmm. So normally they're, um, we host them when session is out so they can be available to attend. Right. I was reading and kind of getting ready for this interview a report from the Brookings Institution. They've been calling for uh, increases in investments and in support in some of the same areas in which, you know, the commission's working. Uh, in fact, they said they call upon the global, com the global community, not just local communities, to invest in, in what they call some key leverage areas. Uh, they talked about political leadership, uh, climate change and food, in food security, economic status, reproductive health, gender-based violence, education. So those cross over some of the areas that, uh, that you all are interested in as well. And it just sort of points out how how broadly based the issues are for women. Mm -hmm. And early, I know in my introduction, I kind of teased the good old days, you know, about when you used to be, as women were portrayed sort of as the happy homemaker, you know, and they had very limited role and they, they were expected to sort of do what their husband told them to do, to do, and and uh, they didn't really sort of even, weren't really portrayed as even having a mind of their own sometimes, you know, and, and uh, but that's not, that was never a good thing. It, it never was. was never was a good thing. I think that's probably one of the reasons why that song, uh, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, <laughs> right, was exactly. so popular. And the other one, I Am Every Woman. Yeah, I yes, think those absolutely. songs right there resonate with women right. more so now than they did back then. Right, the good old days were not really that good for women. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to really turn that around, which sort of has uh, kind of surprised me a little bit that the scores were so low. Because when I look down the list of scores that the that the study had done back in 2015, I'm going, <laughs> there's hardly anybody above a C. You know, there are several states that were literally like an F, you know, and some of the, some of the uh, scores they got and how, how far behind, I guess, some women's uh, circumstances, uh, status was for certain things for mm -hmm. women, particularly in terms of uh, uh, political involvement, uh, health, you know, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Let's just really call, attention is called to you on the, the truth of that situation, it's easy just not to see it. And you know, that is one thing I, I have to agree 100% with, 
unless you are directly involved, you don't see it because what you see are women still doing traditional roles that they've done since women began working back in their early 60s. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and now, because more focus is being uh, shed on women's growth in America, you're seeing more women in these leadership positions that men traditionally hold. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, the number of women, women that are run, running for public office. Right is outstanding, mm -hmm. outstanding. The number of women who are no longer teachers, and that's not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but women used to dominate the education field. Now you're seeing more of them in the administrative field or section of education, <clears throat> right. which gives them a more um, negotiable position. Right, and, and, and these women who are now building principals and uh, district level administrators and leaders and educational leaders uh, it, it, throughout their communities. Uh, it's not like they're looking for, for, a, for a new principal or a superintendent or someone and they go to the coach who's the only guy around, you know, and so he sort of gets it by default, which used to be kind of like the case. And even with coaches, you know, haven't you noticed lately NFL, right. NBA, oh, yeah. you're seeing more women uh -huh. out there and, yes. and newscasters, women absolutely. they're there so i'm glad to see that glad to see that absolutely i was looking at a report on stem education science technology education math that kind of thing mm -hmm. and a lot of emphasis on stem and uh the criticism was still most of the students who are in the STEM programs are men, I mean boys, mm -hmm. and so they're still working on getting women involved even in those technical areas in science and technology and so forth. So trying to for, uh, trying to encourage uh, young women to get involved in those in those programs to really pull them in and attract them as, as much as they can. Well, and, and I think you're seeing an increase of women that are in those STEM programs mm -hmm. now. A lot of it is due to technology. Mm -hmm. You know, when they first came out with the internet, every, not everybody, but a lot of people was like, darny poo, this is gonna take away all of this and all of that. But quite frankly, it created a whole hemisphere for women yes. to shine. And I think that's also brought more women into uh, science in terms of engineering and things of that nature. I've seen more of that. Absolutely. And math is no longer, quote, a problem for women. <laughs> So therefore, again, with the STEM being out there and women being able yes. to, to think out loud instead of st sitting or standing in the back and knowing the answer but not speaking but up not and saying speaking it. Out, right. So yeah, I say kudos. Absolutely. Well, the more, the more attention we can bring to that, the more comfortable or the more we realize that women have a full equal role in those areas as men. And uh, those barriers that have been there in the past have been somewhat artificial. Uh, it's not because of lack of ability or lack of talent or anything else. They were just excluded. Yes. And where those doors are beginning to kind of open a little yes. bit. And now I think maybe we're seeing some of the glass ceilings coming down a little. Uh, we're well, I trying to bump them what, a little bit. As far as the glass ceiling, it is up there. But I tell you what, I know a lot of women that's kicking them down. So yes. Well, isn't that part of the uh, emphasis of the of the of getting women on uh, corporate boards that you're involved in? Yes, the 2020 National Conversation on Board Diversity, which will become the global conversation on. Uh, board diversity. It's all about increasing the number of women who are currently serving on corporate boards because as you know, whenever there is a woman in the room, the dynamics change. Mm -hmm. 
and corporations are beginning to realize that they need that voice, not just that voice, but also that knowledge that women bring. Because women know that we have to, we shouldn't have to, but it's this inherent thing that we have to work harder and faster and better. So therefore, when we speak, we know what we're talking about. And corporations are, are realizing that. When women are in the room, uh, the dynamic changes a little bit. Without and I think a doubt. that's really a positive thing as well. And I've been, I was fortunate enough uh, when I was back working in career tech, we had a good group of women uh, who represented, uh, represented uh, administrative jobs, positions in the system. And so I had the good fortune of working with some very talented women, you know, who were in leadership roles uh, during that experience. And uh, I think they really made a big difference in the kind of conversations and dynamics that went on in our discussions. Well, I, I think the thing with women is um, we listen to hear. Whereas with men, a lot of times they hear and they listen to everything that's being said, but they don't respond to what was actually said. And women, we bring that, that third ear to the conversation. Because again, it's been so long where women were expected not to say anything, so therefore we hear everything. And when it's, quote, our time to speak, then heads turn and they pay attention. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good uh, way to say that. I hadn't really thought of it that way. As I think of men, men spoke to show that they had power. I've been in meetings where men got into sort of like power uh, grabs, you know, during the meeting itself, and I found myself uh, trying to be a, be a moderator in that and break and keep that from, getting, from going south. I can remember some situations in which the women uh, who were in the room were able to kind of soften that. Of course, it's, it's the presence that we bring. Mm -hmm. And it's always good to have power and presence in the same room together because something good is gonna happen from that. Right. And, and if I may, to go back to the 2020 conversation, that was one of the reasons why the founders wanted to be a conversation mm -hmm. because it's an ongoing um, initiative. The 2020 conversation started in 2010. Right, okay. So their goal was to increase the number of women serving on corporate boards by a percentage of 20% by the year 2020. 2020 okay. However, they exceeded that uh, number Great. in 2019. And the state of Oklahoma, excuse me, the state of California, and I don't know if you are aware of this, they passed a law where corporate boards had to increase the number of women that are currently serving on their boards. Yeah. No, I didn't know that that had become official that, in that big way. Win. That's a big win. That was win. a yeah. huge yeah. win, not just for the 2020 uh, conversation, but for women nationwide. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, some other states may follow. We don't know at this point, but because it's out there, that's one of those things that's negotiable. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some of the activities or things that are being planned for that emphasis? The national conversation for 2020 this year will be held um, November 22nd. So um, right now they're doing training throughout the United States and some, uh, I think there are six or seven different countries that have become a mm -hmm. part of the 2020 conversation. 
Um, they're um, writing letters to legislators. They're contacting uh, corporate companies that are on the Russell 500 index to ask them, why don't you have a woman on your board? Mm -hmm. So th there are some things that's happening. Well, I think the boards ought to be held accountable. They should be asked that question. Why aren't women participating and why aren't women involved? Getting past that culture and getting past that sort of mindset, well, it's the guys, you know, mm -hmm. and and bringing women fully into the presence yeah. of, the, of the workplace and leadership and corporate boards and places like that is just way past its time. It is. And another thing that's way past its time is for women to think that they need to learn how to play golf. <laughs> golf doesn't have anything to do with being on a corporate board, okay? So, no, you do not have to learn how to play golf. You do not have to learn how to uh, drive a golf cart. And you don't n need to learn how to do anything else involving golf to right. be there. Well, so I've played golf with a lot of those guys. Let me tell you, they don't know how to play either. Well, that's <laughs> what I kind of figured, and I don't either. But I kind of had that suspicion <laughs> that they didn't. I think they were just doing it so that we they're wouldn't just, be a part of the conversation. They're out there, yeah. It's just kind of they're out there. So, but yeah, I've, I I've been, a, been a involved in a lot of those uh, scrambles and so forth. But uh, it just kind of makes it uh, part of the culture that we we're having to reinvent the culture and let the culture evolve, you know, that include women fully in that experience. I know back in your early days, in your early career, you were involved in a uh, sort of a male-dominated uh, industry. You know, you worked with Western Electric and you got involved with the unions and became a leader in the unions. Uh, what kind of an impression or impact did that experience have on your own understanding and growth and uh, the way l women are taking their place in the job world now or the leadership part of that now? I, I didn't get as much experience in leadership there as I did working for General Motors, mm -hmm. which I worked there for 27 Here in years. City, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And I was also in a leadership position there because I was an international union representative for General right. Motors. Mm -hmm. Yes. But um, I, I've always been just the type of woman that that felt I was equal to any and everybody else so therefore you know I've never been a shadow walker mm -hmm. it was your personality to to be fully present let's say without a doubt going, without going a doubt on. because yeah. you know um our family we're traditionally from Blanchett Oklahoma small town my dad always told us you know look here nobody's going to give you anything However, don't take anything that's not yours. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I felt like, you know, I, I got to be a part of something, you know. So that's why I'm always present. Mm -hmm. What would you say were some things you learned particularly along the way in those experiences that shaped you? I, one of the biggest things that I learned as far as um, being in leadership positions was to always include others. Don't take, it, take anything on yourself because one person can't change any, one person can change some things, but many people can change everything. And that's the truth. It may not be the change for the best, but it can be a change. It takes a lot of people really to be involved in uh, establishing a critical mass of change. Like you said, one person doesn't change everything, but you get a lot of people involved and there's participation and things start to happen. It does, because the, the the more people involved in something, the greater chances of ideas coming out that's mm -hmm. not just the same one over right. and over. Yeah. And I guess you probably took that, some of those ideas with you into some of your own political act activism. I know you were a leader in the 
Oklahoma County Democratic Party for a while and had some state experience. So with the Oklahoma County Democratic Party, I was the uh, chair of that for four years. And then I moved on from there and I became the vice chair of the state Democratic mm -hmm. Party. So yeah, I've been involved in politics for a while. I love every bit of it. As a matter of fact, the first time I even got involved in politics was because I complained because I noticed there was a lack of blacks in the room or African Americans, whichever one you want to turn dean but i noticed that and i said hey why why aren't there any blacks being appointed or selected to any of these open positions and the question was because there's none here i said excuse me i didn't change colors here i That's am choose me <laughs> and, and I, it was like tag you're it yeah and here i am choose me they put me affirmative action chair not only do you have to get people involved, you have to ask them to be involved very often. You really do. And if you don't go out and ask people to be a part of something, they don't know if it's okay. And you know that's absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of women that are serving in public office. When you ask them that question, well, what, what made you get involved? Someone asked me. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is, well, there was a problem or a situation that was arising that was directly impacting me and my family. Right. And that's the beauty about women. When we see that there is a need, then we jump in and we get in. One of the big eye openers for me years ago, uh, I mentioned my, my, uh, my daughter uh, before we started taping. She was working for a lady who was the, actually the chair of the uh, Susan B. Komen Race for the Cure oh. that particular year, and my daughter was a personal assistant for her, and, and so by default, mm -hmm. she kind of became sort of the, her right-hand person in helping coordinate and get things going and so forth, and so uh, that really got her directly involved in the day-to-day -day of everything with, with that race, and that led to uh, continuing to be involved with that race beyond that year to the next year and so forth, and that led to an invitation to join the Junior League, and that led to other things, you know, and she had a long career in the Junior League and was a, a vice president before she was through with that, and now she still is involved as an advisor, I guess, uh, all because uh, she, in a sense, was sort of asked to be involved in one thing, and that mm -hmm. led to something else and led to something else. And, and I wonder how many young people there are out there who are just waiting to be asked, and they, and they don't know yet that they don't have to be asked. They can mm -hmm. just go do it, but, but it takes being asked to really start the ball rolling. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, so many young people, um, they're just out there, very talented individuals, and we're not tapping into that by asking them to be a part of it because a lot of older people, and please forgive me if y'all who, who are 40 and over, but this group of people, we tend to not value what the younger people bring to sure. the table. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if it's a fear that we think they're going to take over our positions or something, but you know what? We're not going to live forever. Right, we exactly. need to leave, quote, a legacy. And when I'm saying a legacy, that's a legacy of leadership for someone to follow. Because not all leaders are good leaders. There are leaders in leadership positions that are misleading people nowadays. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you know a young person and he or she has that ability within them or that capability that you sense that they have, ask them to get involved. Give them something to do. Delegate a task to them that's overwhelming for you. And they'll, uh, they'll jump at that chance, usually. Oh, without a doubt. So I've, we've met lots of young people like that. I'm very impressed with the, our young people coming on, and we've met a lot of, I've, I've, I've met a lot of young people who are 
who are smart, they're eager to be involved, and they're not waiting. Some of them are not waiting. They're getting out there and doing things. And I know you're also involved with uh, Sally's List. Oh, yeah. You're on that board, I think. Yes. And uh, and that is an effort to get young women involved or women involved mm-hmm. more directly in the political process. Without a doubt. Now, with Sally's List, it, it's similar to 2020 Women on Boards. We're trying to increase the number of women that are running for public office in the state mm-hmm. of Oklahoma and beyond. Right. So, yes. And typically, you're trying to encourage women who are specifically interested in women's issues. Without a doubt. You yeah. know, those that we know for a fact will, will stay the distance. There's a lot of training that's out there that we provide to those women. We talk about the uh, barriers that you may be faced while running as a female mm-hmm. uh, in Oklahoma. Um, we, we give them tools that they can use while they're out there on the campaign trail. But Sally's List is a very progressive movement to increase the number of women that are currently serving in public office. Sure. And you know, we're, we're seeing it nationwide. 2019 was one of the biggest uh, political year for women who won office. And we want, uh, we want people, quality people running in office, both men and women, Yes. And we want people running who will be very responsible and good representatives of whatever point of view they present. That's right. Because I know people have all kinds of points of views about things, so it's not going to be all conservative or progressive or liberal or whatever. You have people across the political spectrum running for office, but what you really want is you want quality people taking that responsibility seriously. Yes. To have dialogue and conversation that really solves important problems that's right and regardless of party affiliation we definitely want people that are capable of working across those party lines because in the end you're representing everybody regardless of what what you're wearing on your chest a d or an r right so it's i mean there's all kinds of uh, of ideals out there and ideas out there and we want to get the best of all of that and and not people going to corners and shouting at each other, you know, from across the room. No, 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 we do not <laughs> that, want that. That's uh, that's not very helpful. So, what do you think is uh, the the big takeaway in your career and your life and all the experiences you've had that you would pass along to those young people coming along behind us? So, I think anyone that's really interested in a leadership position, um, the biggest thing to do is to create relationships and then maintain them once you have created them. Be true to yourself. Do not put yourself above anyone else, but then again, do not allow anyone to put you beneath them. Uh, Always, always keep your word and do not say anything that you do not know about. If you don't know it, just submit it and just let a person know, I'll get back with you on that. Mm-hmm. But please, please do not make anything up because it will come back on you. <laughs> so someone's going to figure that out, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, gonna... <laughs> yeah. And, and, and don't think you're the smartest person on the block because yeah. everyone can contribute to anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, you never know where the next great idea is going to come from. You don't. Or through whose idea perspective or through whose lips it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the it's the the craziest, most out there idea that gets you thinking, oh, well, I haven't thought about that before. It's almost like I should have had a V8 moment, huh? (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) it's that kind of thing. Because, you know, sometimes it's not that, it's not the idea that was presented, but it was 
the ideas that that created in other people yes. that said, oh, okay, well, and then, and they start adding on to that, and the next thing you know, we've got this whole new thought process going on about how things could be addressed or ways that haven't been thought of before, and you never know what's going to happen next. And that statement just triggered something, um, what I do quite frequently, because I do have a lot of conversations throughout the day with different people, and at the end of my day, I normally write things down because I think just a word, you, you can create a whole new sentence or a whole new paragraph or something. So write down what you hear or either put it in your phone because now, again, technology, we can put notes in our phones, but you know, keep notes. And then always when you meet someone, remember something about that individual. So the next time when you meet him or her again, you, you, you can connect with them. Mm -hmm. So I, I always think that's a key thing for people who want to be in leadership positions. Well, it goes back to what you said earlier about the relationships. It's oh, all, yeah. everything, everything is about relationships. Everything is. So do you think that that uh, point is kind of starting to come home now after what we've been through so many years of such acrid and awful political discourse, just really corrosive mindsets, uh, and we're starting to see kind of how that's working out. Do you think that uh, through efforts like the Commission on Status of Women and uh, Sally's List or the 2020 conversation, all those things that you're involved with, that maybe we're starting to turn, we can start turning the corner on that? I think the light is shining bright where we can see that we can turn those corners and they're not into darkness. So yeah, I do. Well, that's hopeful. It's very hopeful. <laughs> and with women, all things are possible. That, oh, that's for, for sure. That's oh, for yeah. Sure. That's right. So uh, we'll just leave it at that, okay? <laughs> so I really appreciate your time, uh, Kitty, and uh, the, hearing about your experience and, and uh, uh, the perspectives that you bring to the conversation today on where this state might be going, uh, where we might be improving the status of not only women, but everyone, everyone. Because when we improve the status of women, we, we improve the status of everybody. And that's true. And that brings to mind a, a, a wonderful statement that Representative Lee Denning used to say all the time. She goes, women, women comprise 50% of the population and the other 50% we have to make. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I know, and I love it because it is so <laughs> no true. Argument. Without no women, argument. no woman would exist. That's right. Really, something we remember is that everybody plays uh, an important part in everyone else's life. Yes. Everything is connected, like you said, in relationships. It's all connected, and we're all in this together. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Kitty, for sharing your uh, insights with us today on the spirit of leading, and I really appreciate that. You're welcome. That's uh, Kitty Asbury. She's the executive director of the Oklahoma Commission on the Status of Women and uh, across the board, an advocate for the involvement of women in all facets of policymaking and business, education, policy, politics, you name it. And uh, we are certainly wanting to encourage uh, all people to be involved in your communities, to make things better, to look for ways to improve uh, the status of everyone and to give everyone a chance to live fully and completely the life that they want to live. Well, that's it for this installment of the Spirit of Leading podcast, and I want to thank you for listening. I also encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work and in the community. Be watching for the next episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast. You can sign up and join the Empowered, and you'll receive notifications when the next episode is published. You'll also receive links to my weekly Empowering Thoughts messages. 
Until next time, I urge you to live empowered each and every day to encourage the spirit, to enliven the heart, to enlighten the mind, and to enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Thank you.